I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Radio Motherboard for this installment. Brian Merchant here with Claire Evans, and together we edit Terraform, the speculative fiction imprint. I like to say imprint. I know we never really decided on exactly what. Sometimes you'll say concern, which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> concern that makes it sound kind of like a, like it came out of a boardroom or something, though. But it's not its own magazine. Yeah, it's, it's something else. It's a section, a it's department. A- uh, we have so many linguistic uh, terms to play with here, but we have, it's a venture. It's our home for future fiction. An adventure. An adventure, that's right. And we launched it last year, so it's about a year old. This is just about its first anniversary, its first birthday. And um, in honor of that birthday, we're going to spend this hour or so talking about the year in science fiction in general, which was a pretty good year, I'd say, right? Yeah, great year. Banner year for science fiction, 2015. A banner year. So through movies, film, books, I guess movies and film are <laughs> synonymous. <laughs> well, you know, there's movies and there's films. Right. I guess you'll walk us through the difference in a little bit. <laughs> but TV and, uh, yeah, our, our, our online fiction, we got to do some fun stuff, some experimental stuff, some traditional stuff. Um, so we're, we're going to walk through... You know, the year in speculative fiction, what it's like to tell stories about the future uh, right now, what worked, what didn't, what was most interesting, what we most often found ourselves talking about, speculating about. Um, And yes, we will talk about Star Wars, so... Yes. Just put a pin in it. Because <laughs> I, I, it's actually a good sort of cap to a year-long, uh, you know, uh, interest simmering in science fiction to, to, that it just ends with a bomb, right? It just blows up the <laughs> science fiction bomb. <laughs> I feel like bomb is pejorative. I don't know. Well, I Maybe th- you didn't like it. <laughs> well, well, I guess we'll get to that in a second. But hint, yeah, I did not. But um, So, yeah. So, I guess let's start by just going general. Like, what did we see... You know, what did you what did you like? What do you remember off the top of your head? What did you like in the world of speculative fiction this year? I think I I'm very picky. I'm going to go ahead and preface this by saying that it's been an awesome year. There's been so much good. There's been some great movies, but for me, like the I want to say the two best sci-fi products of the year would be Ex Machina, just perfect in my opinion. Okay. And a novel called Gold Fame Citrus, which is about a dystopian California, which is a subject that is near and dear to my heart, being a Californian. I think there's been a lot of other great, like, 
stuff, but in terms of things that have really piqued me intellectually, those two things. Very hip. Very hip choices, Claire. Yeah, well, you know, that's what I bring to the table. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the the hip sci-fi guy. Yeah, I also loved Ex Machina. Um, And I think that it's telling about this year that I actually saw Ex Machina as a part of a three-film sci-fi movie marathon Mm. that we did for Motherboard. We actually, I think our last sci-fi-themed podcast uh, was about us seeing Mad Max, Tomorrowland, and Ex Machina all, all in the same day. Mad Max and Ex Machina to me seem like a good pairing, but then Tomorrowland's a real wild card. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I, I, actually, it's kind of funny that they all, and I kind of I, I wrote a post that argued that sort of the three primary colors of modern science fiction are sort of embodied in each of those. So you have this great, like, dystopian wasteland apocalyptic fantasy in Mad Max, which is, mm-hmm. you know, which has the Walking Dead phenomenon in its corner and Hunger Games and whatever. These kind of world is ending, doesn't really matter how, here's how we deal with it, here's what happens, and usually it's just... After the fall. Right. After the fall, it's a lot of fighting, it's a lot of power vacuums being filled. A lot dust. Of, yeah, dust, reds. Leather flaps. <laughs> right. <laughs> cloths, right. bound metal. cloths. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you have sort of your shiny, tinted, mass market, product line ready, blue and chrome tinted futures with of like the Avengers mm-hmm. and Tomorrowland. These mm-hmm. sort of like the future is going to be sterile and fun and interesting. Yeah, like big robot, plastic toy future. Right, exactly. Transformers, all these huge and arguably Star Wars. No, oh, for sure. That's in the same corner. Merchandising future. Merchandising future. <laughs> the future of product lines. Yeah. <laughs> and then the third is? Is sort of this new sort of technophobic uh, indie sensibility kind of gray area where we're kind of we're cautious and afraid about technology mm-hmm. and we have um, Black Mirror emerging in this corner sort of most, I'd say most indie films that come out are kind of shot in this sort of like this grayish stark palette. Maybe, I mean, hers a little more warm, but it's still kind of subdued and you can kind of read into it mm-hmm. any which way. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, at, at least on the film front, that was what I kind of took away from yeah, that Yeah, no, day. that's wise. I mean, it's kind of like there's two versions of a very maximal future and then there's this much more internal personal thing that clearly comes from anxiety about technology as opposed to anxiety about like the planet or you know like the war industry yeah like ex machina is about interpersonal you know trauma and and fear right it's meant to sort of reflect the sort of day-to-day anxieties that we have when we interface with technologies that we fear that we may be seeding too much of our you know, personal information to it's, you know, that we also enjoy that we're addicted to in some senses and that we, you know, that, that we have, that we spend a lot of time sort of at least, you know, subconsciously engaging with critically. Yeah. I mean, the threat of artificial intelligence as like an ego, as an ego problem, right? I think is something that we're beginning to grapple with very intelligently in science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I think it makes sense that some of the most provocative and most interesting, I mean, it makes sense that you liked Ex Machina because it was maybe the more thoughtful, more uh, prismatic sort of uh, depictions of the future. The, the year before, I really liked um, Under the Skin. Yeah. I was going to toss that into that chrome tinted minimalist. Indie creeping (laughs) anxiety future. Yeah. In the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, God, that was a great movie. Can we talk about that? No, that's last year. 
Yeah, it was a great movie, and in in some ways it was a big success, and it kind of set, or at least helped establish the that that through line that press that so people will still make those kind of movies at least. Um, and her was before it, and that was a mm-hmm. big success. Um, this year. Can you think of anything else that came out along those lines, like indies that really? Because there, there was no Black Mirror this year. There was no, you know, there were fewer sort of mid-scale side. This was a year of bombast. This was a year of big. There was yep. the Wachowski brothers, Jupiter Ascending, which I, I love that movie. Tell, tell me why. I think this is a very controversial opinion. It may be an opinion I have just because it's a controversial opinion. It's something. <laughs> sometimes I do that. I believe that the Wachowskis are. Like so singularly weird and and like so like completely consumed in their own visual and sort of like spiritual reality that it's just it's a marvel that they exist. Like I think we're gonna look back on all of their movies, especially their more recent movies, and just be like, wow, like how did this get made? It's kind of like as though instead of Hollywood becoming Hollywood, San Francisco became Hollywood. You know what I mean? Hmm. It feels like the summit of an alternate timeline in which the sensibilities of a slightly different California became the prevailing myth-making sensibilities of our of our time. Huh. Like it's very sort of steampunky and um, yeah, they yeah. really do have their own visual aesthetic. And there, this this movie was like a real puzzler to me. I didn't actually see it because I feel like I. I heard about it and I checked the listings and it was already gone. Like it spent like two oh, yeah. weeks in the oh, theaters. Yeah. Well, like it was, it was a, a big bomb. You had to you had to be in the know <laughs> right. to go see it. You had to be like, it's coming out today. Better see it before it goes out of theaters tomorrow. It's just like there's a there's a scope of ambition there that I find really admirable. And I think that like there are a lot of kind of maximalist, big budget sci-fi type movies with explosions and giant ships and stuff. And um, that do that kind of travel along the same sort of Joseph Campbell trope storylines of heroes and good and evil and stuff. And I think movies like Jupiter Ascending are just so much. I don't know. There's, there's so much more weirdness to it. It kind of feels like a Terry Gilliam movie or something. Like it's coming from there. This like it's really much more about scenery so than it is about plot. Why did it? Why do you think it failed? Then do you oh, think it's just <laughs> for all every reason? For like it's I can't believe it even made it out of the gates. It's just like a hideous movie, just hideous looking. Looks like just a giant brass clock, like an or- ornate bl- brass clock floating in space. Um, to, yeah, just like too many things going on. No one wants to see Channing Tatum as an alien with like weird little cat ears. Um, <laughs> you know, the acting was terrible. It, it did that this thing. Was a space epic though. It yeah, was yeah. Like a- it did that thing that the, the first Thor movie did where it's like, it's crazy, like sort of high fantasy space opera world. And then like this very grounded planet earth reality of just like Mila Kunis is feeling up and like and the, those two things interact with one another and it doesn't make any sense like it doesn't seem like those worlds should ever cross and so she's plucked out of that and then she's plucked out of that and then tossed and she's some kind of space princess I don't even remember the plot frankly but yeah. she's some kind of space princess and she holds all the power of the future I don't know so I actually think that's a pretty good segue because I didn't even see this movie it was this grand epic it was clear it was like maximalist like packed with weird ideas that that didn't translate at least in terms of the audience's opinions um and then to the end of the year like so that was like february and it kind of like appeared and disappeared like a blip and no one noticed Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the year we have probably like the biggest science fiction epic in the last what 10 years i guess in terms of marketing run-up in terms of anticipation in terms of hype. marketing run-up in the lead-up to the star wars movie has been so amazing just like 
you see everywhere. It's like a just a, do- a random Dodge commercial that's somehow Star Wars. Every kind, all these weird co-brands that yeah. don't make any sense. It's really been like it's pretty crass. It's but no one seems crass. to care. I think that it. My theory is that it's that the Star Wars mythology is already so ubiquitous that it doesn't feel like we're actually being reminded obtrusively of something. We're just kind of, it's already there. And then to see it in a Dodge commercial is just like, oh yeah, whatever, that of course. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I do feel like, I went to see it last night, opening night, as as did you. And the scene to me was so outrageous. And it made me realize like, it's not even about the movie. It's as arbitrary as like Halloween. It's just like, it felt like a holiday. Just some holiday that everybody was enacting the rituals of. Yeah. Oh, we're all at the movie theater and we're all dressed up. And it just, yeah, it didn't even feel like it was about the movie. It was about this larger culture. Did you dress up? No, of course not. Although I was with a crew of people that some people dressed up as Star Trek characters, which was, I thought, very funny. A little act of defiance. A little act of defiance. (laughs) Yeah, there were... But you know what? One thing I, I was thinking of when you were talking about the the lead up to Star Wars, I think one of the reasons that Jupiter Ascending didn't succeed, one of the many reasons, is that there isn't really a space for movies that are that large scale that don't come from a pre-existing franchise. Like there's, It's really difficult, I think, to make a new sci-fi movie that has action adventure that isn't just something that we all grew up playing with or seeing. You right, know, in it's the too 80s. risky. It's too risky of a prospect for... And that's executive. kind of why I yeah. wanted that movie to succeed and why I liked it, because I felt like at least they were trying to start something new, you know, to kick off a new franchise or a new sort of world. Yeah. right now we're just sort of re-trafficking these known landscapes over and over again. We are, but it also kind of feels like there are a lot of efforts recently to try to, you know, summon some kind of a new world. I'm thinking of... Like Oblivion, which was also mm. not a fantastic movie, but it was this whole, the moon had exploded and drones ruled the earth. And there was this very kind of particular visual aesthetic that, you know, so there was there was that. And there are some, there are some attempts, I feel like, being made, uh, what's that, Edge of Tomorrow or mm-hmm. however they rebranded it with, you know. <laughs> so basically you're talking about Tom Cruise sci-fi movie. <laughs> I get, I get, maybe, yeah, he, maybe that's, it's either you have this pre-existing universe or you get like a megastar like Tom Cruise to show up. And, yeah, you need something. Yeah. I think you need something like that. So, and yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's what, what sort of bothered me about the new Star Wars movie is it's something that people have said before, but it was so derivative. It was so so derivative. It can't not be because there's an entire generation, several generations of people that are expecting to just like have the notes hit that they want hit, you know? It has to satisfy everybody. Every single character that you're familiar with has to be there. Every single sort of iconic shot. It's kind of like the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, which was a new movie technically, but had every major scene from Jurassic Park just sort of reinstated, replayed, and done on a larger scale. Yeah. B- bigger dinosaur, but the same thing. Yeah. The same thing happened with Star Wars. It's like, there's a Death Star that's just a bit bigger than the last one, and th- that one explodes in the same way. And it's just, I mean, sorry, no spoilers. But, <laughs> yeah, um, a, well, uh, I mean, so think of it this way. Yeah, we should say, yeah, spoiler alerts. If, if you want to turn this off now, we're probably going to talk about some things that might give a few things away. But if you look at it, if you were to watch... The original, like, say, the la- chronological order, the last four Star, the four Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. three out of four of them open on a desert planet. Mm-hmm. Two out of them, two out of four of them begin with a rogue droid containing lost plans that are in, that provide the MacGuffin for the film. Three yep. out of four of them have a giant planet-destroying weapon as the central conceit. Yeah. Four out of four of them come down to a duel with a red lightsaber-wielding, mouth-breathing maniac. Have you seen that thing where someone layered all the Star Wars movies on top of one another? 
No. It's on YouTube. It's amazing. It's one of the, it's kind of like that Dark Side of the Moon thing where you watch it and you're like, wait, every one of them is actually the same. Like the credits are the same. The shots are the same. Almost right. shot for shot. It's really crazy. So here's my problem. My problem is that like we, it's so, it's so the same. Like I, I, I think I saw somebody refer to it just as a reboot of the first movie, which, yeah. I mean, so J.J. Abrams got the got the pacing right. He got the rhythm right. It was fun. I was like smiling when I watched this. Of course, on cue, like Han Solo shows up and you go yay, and you know yeah, everyone's cheering. All those things show up. But honestly, what I found myself thinking about as I was watching this movie w- were the prequels and how, like, almost in hindsight, I was sort of looking for a bit more of that in there. What? Yeah. I think you're the only person. <laughs> In the world, who would say that? Why? Okay, here's why. It's because, yeah, yes, they were crappy movies, but at least they were doing interesting things with this universe. There were new ideas. So right. he's saying, okay, this is what the this is what you know the the galactic government looked like before the empire took over. Here's probably what it looked like. Here's how they interacted. And yeah, he ch- he chose a really boring vessel, and everyone makes fun of like the trade disputes thing. Well, yeah, it's it's like world building instead of storytelling is what those movies are. So he, which is the ultimate nerd thing. It's the ultimate nerd thing. But why do we have to watch the same movie over and over? Like we could have cut somewhere. Like why does it have to be a planet destroying weapon? Why couldn't it be something that I don't know? Like infects people that have the that are strong with the force. Ooh, or, zombies. Why know, do they have zombies? Why don't they have well, something else? Like why don't they? <laughs> why don't they think of anything else? It, I don't know because they're not trying. I don't think they're trying to in the case of that yeah. movie. I mean that movie. There's so much writing on that movie. There's so much money writing on that exactly. movie. So much merchandising, and that's like the, at the core of the Star Wars <laughs> brand is that it's so much about just merchandising and like the product of the Star Wars experience. It's like a ride or something. It is a ride. It's got its familiar ups and downs. You know, it's got like. A different, you know, they like change it up a bit, yeah, for every iteration. But it's still just an experience that you, it's like a vehicle for people to hang out and but be into Star Wars. It doesn't even really matter what Star Wars is even, know, ha- what's even happening in the that, movie. That depresses me. Yeah, well, I mean, welcome to the movies. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, exactly. So I guess I'm not saying like I in in light of this that the first three movies were were great, but they. I was like, oh, okay. I see what Lucas was trying to do. He was trying to expand the palette. He was answering questions that people ne- didn't necessarily want answered, but he was at least like engaging his imagination. There were clone wars. There were, you know, robot armies. Yeah, but it left, n- there was no mystery in those movies, you know? It was just like this ham fisted, hardcore explanation of everything. I know, and that's bad. That's why he needed someone else to direct them. He yeah. should have written them or blueprinted them or whatever he did for the first three mm-hmm. and i agree they were they turned out they turned out poorly but i immediately am like remembering all of the different colors and at least the visceral world and like the you know the the clone wars are actually kind of a cool thing and in this we literally got the new hope part two like it was literally the same thing yeah yeah it was not it a was. single new compelling idea like you know what i found really funny about this movie is that you know, it's this super high budget thing and there's this great production value and all this new creature design, you know, all these different aliens, everything looks pretty good. Yeah. And then you still have Ch- just Chewbacca in there, you know? And like, <laughs> he can't look different. They can't update him to make yeah. him look cooler right. or more realistic. Or yeah. You know, he still just looks like a guy in a suit and you just you just have to ignore that because he's a classic character, which I think is so funny. Yeah. And I mean, the same for all the robots and all I the characters. C-3PO. Yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, all those characters are ridiculous. The- C-3PO is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. I was watching this like I admit I was kind of charmed when he made his intro. Like what? he interrupted their like moment and 
It was kind of cute. Whatever. I was watching all this footage before I went to go see the new Star Wars movie of just like um, behind the scenes footage of shooting the original Star Wars, the first one, the very, very first one, and how... When they were making it in the UK, like the entire British crew just thought it was ridiculous. Like they all were like, this is going to be a flop. And they would just be, you know, laughing behind the camera, just couldn't believe how dumb it was. And and it just came as a huge surprise to everybody that it was successful. And there's all this footage of on set. And the reason that everyone thought it was funny is because Darth Vader, like the guy, I forget his name, the British guy who actually physically played Darth Vader was doing all the lines you know, like on set was doing the lines before he was the voiceover was done by James Earl Jones, and he's got just like this ridiculous posh British voice, and he's, <laughs> he's like trying to sound mean, and it looks ridiculous. Like it looks like the most low budge, like amateur hour kind of thing of just this like funny man being like, "I'm got the force, and I'm going to." It's just nuts. <laughs> and also, Chewie talked originally. They yeah. they changed that, but on set you see like this guy. He's just like, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah, everyone's talking. And they look ridiculous. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it's classic Star Wars lore that Alec Alec Guinness was just miserable the entire time, yeah. and he negotiated something like two point five percent of the proceeds. Like it, Star Wars made him rich beyond his wildest for the rest of his life. Yeah. He never had to work again because he secured like a clause that was two point five percent of all the proceeds from Star Wars <laughs> went to Alec Guinness. Yeah, for- because he was like the only star in the in the first movie. Yeah. I don't know. I think that it's really funny to me that all these people, you know, they made this film probably not thinking that it was going to be anything and then it defined the entire rest of their lives. Yeah. And I think people have variably handled that well and not well. Yeah, there's a great little mini documentary about uh, Star Wars extras. Oh, really? Yeah, it's really fun. They, you know, a lot of them make enough from the the proceeds that they get from just appearing in this no way. You you do you get residuals yeah. for being an extra you in do. movies? You used to, I guess. I don't think you do anymore because I was an extra in a thing recently. And you yeah, like right. It's like a day rate. You get bucks. Right, exactly. But I think it used to be, or I don't know that they're extras, but they have like a line. Right, okay. It's like the guy in Moss Eisley who's like, he doesn't like you either. And he's just made like a million dollars for that. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's Hollywood, man. Yeah, he's just a piece of that mythology. Um, but yeah, I yeah, Star Wars, it was fine. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, it was one of those things where you, like, walk out in a rush with everybody. Everyone's, like, giddy and, like, yay. And then it kind of, like, yeah. it's, like, coming off of a cocaine high or something. But I just feel like, like we should acknowledge mm. the fact that its intentions were marvelous. I mean, the fact that there's, like, a person of color and a woman as the main protagonist of that film yeah. is dope. Um, you know, she's the, the fact, best thing about that movie. She's so good. She was good. Yeah, and, was you know, that it made a really genuine attempt to sort of humanize a lot of things that are just written off as sort of archetypal evils and goods in the original Star Wars movies. Like, behind the Stormtrooper mask, who is there? What is his experience? All yeah. that stuff, I think, is really, like, wonderful, wonderful intention, That's I think, and, and very and very noble. That's the best, I feel like, innovation of the film was that plot line. Yeah. How he comes from Stormtrooper Dumb. Yeah, that, I want to know more about that, like yeah. being raised as a stormtrooper, what that's like. Yeah, that's why, I, I mean, and that's my other gripe with the film is that it, it was, I, Abrams was clearly so hell-bent on not falling victim to the over-explaining, boring, midi-Claridian mm-hmm. uh, trap that he didn't explain anything. Like, everybody's wondering what the hell happened to the Empire after the its Death Star blew up. And it's just mysteriously turned into the new order. There's a new boss in town. They're a little more Nazi-ish now. <laughs> and I know, seriously. What's going on with 
the government that they want to take over that they apparently like that plot point is like there's like oh the government is so meddlesome and they just talk 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 and then they blow them up i think like that happened they blow up an entire planet which I is also like Republic, I think. a plot point of the first like jj abrams star trek movie and i feel like maybe was he like trying that out with that yeah. movie? you know like do people like this is it okay if i blow up a whole planet oh it is okay Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Put that in the Star Wars one. <laughs> yeah, that makes like it was like the biggest focus group testing ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I mean, I think that that's what happened in the movie. That there's like, oh, there's this government. It's called the Republic. Oh, I we mean, blew it up and it's gone. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't bother myself with getting into the details of that. Uh, that's not I, about that. I think by the by number seven, you have the responsibility of like at least engaging with the mythology a little. I mean, bit. I think a thing I like about about those movies is like is the plays of scale. I mean, the the backdrop of these of this movie is the you know is the entire forces of good and evil in the universe, yeah, and that is sure. so grandiose. Yeah, but the stories are really about you know. Select individuals and their relationships to one another, and I yeah. think that if you get too bogged down with trying to explain the universe, you just lose what's important about the movie, which is just yeah. people fighting, fighting for what they believe in. I know, but even in the first New Hope, you had Obi Wan sit down and say, "Like, well, this is the Leyland. Your father fought in the Clone Wars, and all right, let's get on this." Speaker. I mean, what's the alternate? Like the beginning of the David Lynch's Dune movie, which is forty-five minutes of expository <laughs> background, giant monsters floating in tubes, <laughs> telling you the story. Yeah. No, I know. I, I, I actually, I enjoyed it. I thought he did a good job. It's just a, you know, it's a high, it's a, it's a, it's a high mark to reach. Uh, and you know, I just thought he could have been a little more creative. He could have pushed a little harder. Yeah. No, but it was. I mean, I thought the casting was great. You casting know? was great. Oscar Isaac, God bless him. Yeah. Just so vigorous. Yeah. Just vigorous in a flight suit. Just all you could want. Vigorous. Yeah. That's he's an interesting like adjective. the most vigorous actor of our generation. Just really? very. Yeah. He's like very wound up. You don't think so? No. He's just like off to do good in that movie. Just in constantly. In that movie, he was. I feel like he's often like he's like a scenery chewer. I feel like he kind of like he's the best. All right. Well, you have a little <laughs> something for us. But that that's cool. Um, yeah. So I think that that sums up our. Uh, our thoughts on well what do you have something else to, no no uh, definitely I mean there's I feel like there's probably no end to the thoughts that we can have about Star Wars but yeah. ultimately I feel like I'm glad I saw it as a cultural thing I was, I'm was. i glad I saw it on opening night it was a whole scene yeah. people were just going bananas it's interesting I mean I feel like I haven't really experienced that in pop culture in a long yeah. time mostly because I'm not on the ground for those kinds of things usually yeah. I'm not like in line at Barnes and Noble for the new Harry Potter right. book or whatever but you know it's interesting to be part of that like what inspires this kind of rabid reaction to something pop culturally like why do people go nuts i i think it goes back to the same thing it's beyond that it's it's beyond uh, pop culture it's just it's mythology it's something that yeah. everybody grows up with there's an entry point for everybody and it's so ubiquitous and it's so agreed upon as something that's good and cherished by maybe going on three generations now yeah you know there's there are kids seeing this for the first time and they're going to be entertained and they're going to love it and it's it's more organically interesting than all of the other sort of mega mega universes that are 
you know, trying to vie for these, for theater tickets and bucks. You know, what, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Oh, my God. I mean, the trailers before Star Wars. I was really excited for the trailers because I was like, what movie is big enough to have its trailer before Star Wars? The only movie big enough to have its trailer before Star Wars is Star Wars. Like, there's no other movie. (laughs) Everything else is is just, like, aiming down. It's like the Super Bowl commercial of trailer spots, you know? And I was kind of underwhelmed by it. What what do they show for you? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? TNMT, which... I. Honestly, I actually really liked the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. You did not. You're just being a contrarian. No, I mean, I I think Michael Bay is out off the rails in a way that is so interesting. I felt like the the sort of the the end of the Transformers franchise and then the beginning of this, it's just so bananas and dumb. I don't know. There's something about it that's interesting to me. Well, they both got their start as toy lines. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, they, trying to make a serious film out of something that was that began as a toy is just ridiculous. It's really and it's perfect for Michael Bay because yeah. it's there's no there's no even specter of artistic integrity to violate. There's just nothing. But it's so shitty. It's almost high art. Is the way I feel about it. Yeah, you it's would. almost like some kind of like Paul Verhoeven thing. <laughs> yeah, ah, uh, that's giving him way too much credit. Anyway, other trailers included. I don't know, like new new Captain America movie, uh, yeah. which looks dumb. New like adult J.K. Rowling movie. It's like I forget what it's called. Oh, well, I didn't play the one. Some kind of wizard. That. It's like beasts and wizards. Oh, or I didn't see that. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I can remember. Well, anyways, yeah. There's nothing really that's as exciting coming next year in the yeah, world. Yeah. Now of what? Film. Do we just all kill her? I mean, like we just wait for the next Star Wars movie. Well, I think there's thankfully going to be one every thankfully. like every three months now in the expanded universe because they're doing the same thing with Star Wars that they're doing with the with Marvel universe. Mm. There's going to be like side stories what really yeah there's a movie called rogue one that's coming out so it's i mean they're doing the exact same thing that marvel did because marvel turned itself into a multi-billion dollar enterprise by just kind of like cynically churning this shit out so exhausting so exhausting so there's going to be an official star wars title every two years so this is 2015 the next star wars episode 8 will be in 2017 star wars episode 9 will be in 2019 and they already have directors lined up for those. And in between... It's not going to be Jar Jar Abrams for all of them? It's not. It's uh, Ryan Johnson, the guy who did Looper for this for oh, the next one. Interesting. And then the guy who did Jurassic World for the last one. Oh, the guy. That guy. I forget wow. his name. Wow. Uh, that movie was bad, though. Yeah, that movie was bad. Um, and in between, they're doing a Rogue One series. So they're just going to jam Star Wars movies. What's Rogue everywhere. One? Is it... It's about the ro- Rogue One or like the X-Wing pilots, and I don't really know that much about it because I, I haven't really researched it, but that's, yeah, that's going to be more Star Wars, more tangential, universe dwelling, more on that. I guess it's comforting to know that, I don't know, I mean, maybe there's a Star Wars for every generation and like ours is just, we're just doing it. I guess. Someone's taking care of it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's I'm- like someone's running a nation over there that... Yeah, you know, they've got their sovereignty and they're working hard. And I guess, and I guess, like any prosperous nation, now it's like overpopulating. <laughs> it does. I did have this moment, which I, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to think this kind of thing when I'm watching movies because I think it's it's just rude. But just watching in that movie and being like, God, all the money spent, like all the good that that could have, that money could have done. Not that I didn't like it, but it's just like. Just shave a couple mil and, you know, fix one, a small disease. You know, solve a small disease. <laughs> Get rid of the tapeworm or something. It's just, yep. yeah, I don't know. What are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, Culture Factory. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if we're going to if we're gonna talk that, I think Hollywood is the least of our worries. Maybe we can, like, <laughs> shave some bucks off the oil industry first. But I hear you. It's pretty nuts. Um, but let's pivot. Let's talk a okay. little bit about what we did this this. 
this year, right? <laughs> we're the count. I guess I think we're the we're the stark opposite to the Hollywood. Much like J.J. Abrams, we built a <laughs> world for ourselves full of characters, right? And with our excitement and adventure and criticism. <laughs> with our with our story every once once or twice a week, weekly two thousand word stories that will change the way you think. No, it's been really fun. I think it's been a total experiment. You know, I think that when we launched Terraform. We didn't. Not, I'm not gonna say we didn't know what we were doing, but we it had was brand a, new territory. It was new for, territory. Yeah. Um. I've worked in some fiction editing before. Had you edited fiction before? No. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's that's who you want running the ship. Yeah. No. No bona fides <laughs> at all. No. Just deep fans. Yeah. And I think an awareness of like what the important issues are for our generation. I mean, for our world. Yeah. So the. I mean, the idea of terraform. From the beginning, uh, we both agreed was to r- sort of try to do our best to pair the the stories or the themes in the stories to sort of you know pertinent hot button topics today and to news that was unfolding now. So it didn't seem like we were running stories about space operas unfolding four thousand years in the future. And if we did, then they would have some corollary or some comment on. Uh, you know what was going on here, so we tried to rein it in a little bit. We tried to make it make it internet friendly, and the idea was, you know, to try to spread this stuff around. And we've actually been really successful on a lot of on a lot of those fronts. We have had stories become quote unquote hits on Reddit and and on <laughs> Dig, and like people are reading them alongside new, which is cool. Like, yeah, I mean, I think if you publish short fiction that is re- extremely relevant to some issue. Yeah, and it's also you know has a has a point of view, and I think for me, I mean, not to go back to Star Wars, and I'm going to nip it in the bud after this, okay, but thank you. <laughs> part of what I what makes me not a real Star Wars fan, as I'm sure listeners can tell, is that I don't think it like I don't I don't think it's science fiction in the sense that it's critical about the world, which for me is the central function of what science fiction should do is be you know is is use the advantage it has of positioning itself wherever it wants in the timeline to actually make some kind of interesting comment or valid comment or have a point of view about the present. Yeah. And that's the, what we do with Terraform is that the stories on Terraform yeah. all have a strong point of view and an opinion about something relevant to our lives and our world. Right. Right. It's not It's not what fantasy, which is Star Wars is basically a space fantasy. And, you know, it's great and, and we love it. But, yeah, Terraform is, you're going to be much more likely to see a story about, you know, a self-driving car that, takes on a prerogative of its own or you know a critique of of using uber as a bulwark of our <laughs> mostly economy. car-based yeah. stories car-based autonomous Car cars. fiction yeah there's uh we have our night rider fanfic page that <laughs> that's not true uh-huh. uh no i mean we've done stories like about the culture of science fiction you know we've done like in the wake of the sort of sad puppy scandal we did a story about you know, the patriarchy going unhinged. And right. We had CES 50 years in the future. We had Coachella 100 years in the future. It's fun to... One thing I really like doing with Terraform is to find nonfiction writers and have them kind of extrapolate on about their beats, you know, so finding a music writer talk about music in the future or whatever. You know, like that the Taylor Swift story was pretty funny. Yep, yeah, yeah. The assassination of Taylor Swift. It's, yeah. it's interesting to know what people who aren't necessarily always writing fiction or thinking in a fictional way are imagining the future will be like. Yeah, and it's also fun to, to sick a sci-fi writer on a theme and say like, okay, you will try to write about this, you know, this, you know, this near near future thing. What do you got? Yeah. Uh, we have some fun. So we have Warren Ellis doing a story about sleep for our sleep. Yeah, how do we get him? We asked him. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, it is cool. And we're having, 
and I'm enjoying sort of you know we have some regular re- regularly appearing writers now who are who are doing what I consider to be very terraforming stories like Paul Ford. Both of his stories have been fantastic. So good. I love Paul Ford. Yeah. How is he such a good journalist, nonfiction writer, and also such a good fiction writer? Yeah, I don't know. He's it's great. A rare beast. He's also a really nice to work with, I understand. And, Incredibly yeah. lovely. Yeah, lovely to edit. I mean, I think that working... My favorite thing about this this gig is working with writers because I think that it's just so interesting to see how people think and how people approach their craft, you know, and how willing they are to work with you to do something. We also have kind of a distinct ethos. You know, it, it is... It's We're not just a science fiction magazine. We, we, are, we are really trying to point it, at, like you said, at a specific audience and at, you know, a specific sort of, like fault line between fiction and nonfiction mm-hmm. and um and in, in some cases trying to turn it around quickly so it so it's relevant so it makes sense. And that Uber story by Paul Ford is a great example. We commissioned him to do that story. Um it was maybe our first really big sort of like viral story uh that we ran and it was almost maybe a year ago actually one of the first It was called Dear Listener, One Day I Will Die on Mars. Yeah. Google it. Right. And it was and it came out this year after Uber had spent a week in the press after uh, really... After some bad thing they did. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was the one where they maybe threatened a journalist or there was it was uncovered that they have a giant... You know, map tracking yes, yeah. all of the yeah all of your information and where you're going on like a big sort of big board in Queens somewhere or something. Something like that. Uh, so it was very topical and yet it was... You know, oh, a great speculation that he he just really sort of like nailed why we're afraid of Uber, what it could do to the economy, it and companies like it, and you know what what it might be like for the principal characters who might fall on either side of that divide: the great mm-hmm. Uber user and the person who's slaving away under the uh, sharing economy's auspices. And he turned that story around really fast. I yeah. think that's something that I really like about Terraform is that it's not precious. You know? Yeah, like it's not. I mean, there's lots of stuff that people f- submit to us that they've labored over for a long time, but I think some of my favorite stuff is the stuff that's written, not like off the cuff, but in the moment of something, yeah. in response to something that's happening, and like, you know, in this fluid way that is responsive and part and part of the stream of conversation, Yeah, and not something that's kind of calcified after a long period of ponderous thought. Yeah, yeah. Sam Biddle's CES story is just like that. It's really, it's a, just fun. It's funny. It's just a funny blast of dystopian... And, you know, CES has become this just cathedral. It's not it already is, but just this oppressive, towering, you know, thing that people slaver over and mm-hmm. are just kind of reduced to to just kind of like cowering in its wake. He did a good job of sort of magnifying that too. And yeah, we've had just some lovely stories. One of my favorites was uh, "Homesick" by that was Debbie Urbanski, mm-hmm. which was a just a beautiful premise. The people who are on a generation ship, you know, being transported to another habitable planet or something. We don't really know. They're, they've, they're, they've gone beyond Earth for whatever reason, and then all the children start having dreams of, a, of Earth, the place that they've never been, and it sort of tears at the social fabric of that. Yeah, great story. Beautiful story. Beautiful story, yeah. Really elegant. I think it won some kind of prize. Yeah. Some kind of, it was nominated or won. 100 Year Starship or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. That yeah. was also, I think, one of the more sort of outer space type stories that we've done. I think most of the things that we've done have been kind of Dogma 95 in a way. Like they've been like very lo-fi in the present. Right. But that's or the, story. Or the near, near present. A lot of like, a lot, we have a lot of uh, 
AI running amok a little bit in mm-hmm. our in our gadgets and in our computers. That's a big theme for us. Yeah, the tech. F- the, the the prostitute was a good speculation on that front. Um, it was about uh, well, we did that contest with AMC where we got to pick uh, three stories that dealt best with AI in the near, far, and really far future. So. We got some interesting speculations, and one of my favorites there was the prostitute, where this guy literally prostitutes himself, uh, not in the way of necessarily giving sexual favors away, but giving his mind. He prostitutes out his mind for people to control his entire body. Yeah, like Strange Days style. Right, and then spoiler alert, he finds out that. (laughs) Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Yeah, there's a nice twist in it, and yeah, well. You know, one thing I think is interesting. We have a submission pile people can submit stories i mean we're like shot we're depressingly behind on our slush pile but it's interesting to see the kinds of themes that come up again and again in submissions because i feel like our our inbox is kind of a zeitgeist sensor like it really reveals what people think is interesting about our technological world there are so many stories about ai yeah so many stories about sex yeah i think that's always going to be the case probably And like, yeah. Uh, did I tell you? I started to log like a database of them where just all the submissions, it turned out to be like a Herculean f- feat. So I obviously was not up for it. Wait, Being, what did you do? I started logging them all into a giant Excel spreadsheet oh and then God, labeling the, like the subject of the story. So it was just like, here's the name of this. That's all I want. So I could start to tally. We that's could a run. Good idea. Then we could see like, oh, we got, you know, 4,000 submissions and 1,000 of them were about sex or 1,000 of them were about apps or whatever. Great stats. Yeah, have. great stats. We could we can data mine your submissions, people. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to anyone who submitted a story to Terraform and is just like sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for a response, we're very sorry. We're so far behind. We have a lot of promising things coming up in the year. We're going to expand beyond doing text-based fiction and we're going to start doing uh, experimenting more with graphic uh, platforms and trying to do more even like CGI video stuff eventually and really maybe getting more experimental. Um, so yeah. there are so many good, at least, ideas in this in the submission spot. There are great, great yeah. speculation. Like this is, I, I was just looking through it the other day and somebody had an idea, you know, about a future of imprisoning people instead of putting them into a you know a cell block you just sort of deactivate them and there's just these rows of of bodies who are just kind of like been deactivated and they're just waiting out their sentences <laughs> while they're completely inert and it was about the security guard who was like walking through these rows of bodies the thing is that there's so many like there's no shortage of good stories and i think it's fairly rare that we get a submission where i'm like eh, that's a dumb idea the one thing i see a lot in stories that really breaks my heart is people thinking that they have to explain a whole world before they even get to the characters you know yeah yeah i mean that's just our preference is is really sort of visceral real real feeling and emotive writing i will do I'll probably go a lot more than having this, like, carefully crafted, really, you know, nuts and bolts all in the right place world that just, you know, this hard sci-fi kind of thing. Yeah, we love really good writing or just, like, some random tweets. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) or just make a funny joke on Twitter. Yeah, so it's been actually a really great year, and I I really, you know, look forward to seeing what folks are going to come up with next. Um... Yeah, I, I would li- I would like to see more experimental stuff. I don't know if we make it clear enough that we want to see your your weird GIF comic strip. We want to <laughs> see like your you know your your series of animated 
you know, yeah. whatever. I mean, I think we just need to start publishing more of that stuff. I mean, I'm working on a top secret project right now. I feel like, well, you know, but I'm not going to tell the listener, but we're going to make a game. You know, I think that's, that's something that I think will open up the floodgates a little bit. Yeah, we just did a great graphic novel. Not graphic. What do you call it? Graphic short. Graphic short? Graphic, graphic short. short story. Yeah. Matt Lubchansky. It was graphic fiction. Something that you can read in a minute and you kind of get a real, you know, deep felt reaction to it. I did anyways. Um, you should talk about our Twitter bot. We built a Twitter bot. Uh, that was also a highlight of this year. It it, it just got uh, got some love from from Quartz, who named it as one of the best Twitter bots of the year. But it's called These Futures, and it uh, basically is sort of uh, serves up a platter of how we think about the future. Basically, tweets about the future, tweets about uh, you know, well, so it does three things. I should explain first, I guess. So it will retweet. A selection of tweets that people have actually tweeted about the future. So if somebody says, 20 years from now, there will be no men left on Earth, or whatever, it will hopefully find that one and retweet it. Secondly, it'll we, we plugged in a giant database of sort of more famous predictions about the future. Like, what did, you know, Philip K. Dick say about the future 40 years ago, or William Gibson, or even just random people, Nostradamus, Benjamin Franklin. Quote, yeah, just predictions. Yeah, the predictions. We have some weird ones in there. And then we also made a little little crude AI that will cobble together common like formulations of government bureaucracies and In the blank, blank will blank. In the blank, blank, blank will blank. So it sometimes tweets out some pretty amusing uh, future farts. And (laughs) it's, yeah. 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 Future it's, farts is a really good way of describing that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, and I think the way that uh, uh, the courts described it was good. It's not really going to give you a great idea about, you know, what's going to happen in the future, but it will give you a pretty good idea of how we are thinking about the future right now, which is really kind of what Terraform is about. That's what, I feel like, that's what science fiction is about. You yeah. know, it should it should be it should represent the pulse of you know current thinking, current anxiety, current aspirations about the future. Yeah, that people have. Yeah, which yeah, it's 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 really interesting to to see um, because they they take place on a real micro scale sometimes, and a real you know some people spend a lot of time on on Twitter just kind of laying bare what they hope will happen in the future, just like oh in the future you know I'm gonna be happy with my husband you know, <laughs> and they're really like personal future predictions. Yeah. And there's some that are, you know, obviously meant to be jokes, some that are, uh, you know, real futuristy kind of things that, you it's know. It's funny, it kind of, my my Twitter handle, as you know, is at the universe, and I get a lot of, like, at replies from people that think, or just that are, like, sort of rhetorically tweeting at the universe. And I, it's kind of the same vibe as the, these futures tweets, where it's like, it's kind of a casting out into the great unknown through the conduit of Twitter, like, thinking that you can somehow speak to the grander forces at play. Right. It's always like, at the universe, like, I wish Zane would, would like, join One Direction again, you know, like, stuff like that. Okay, okay, listenership. We're going to wrap this up. (laughs) We are. uh, Star Wars, five stars. Star Wars, two two stars. I guess, what's the aggregate? Like, three and a half? I guess that's fair. I don't really, I'm I'm just kidding about the five stars. Uh Uh-huh, no, it's too late. You said it on air, on a publication. Star Wars, three thumbs up. Three thumbs up. Okay, I'll, I'll agree to that. This has been Claire Evans. And Brian Merchant. For Motherboard. We encourage you to read our speculative fiction imprint slash concern, Terraform. Thanks for listening to us, if you're still around, and uh, we'll see you next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.